1: Here are your hosts, Headmaster Rebecca Hagstrom and co-host Mark Durkin.
2: Well, good evening, and thank you for joining us here on Education Nation. I am your Headmaster and host, Rebecca Hagstrom, and it's a privilege to join you every Saturday evening here on AM 1280, The Patriot. And, of course, I'm joined in studio once again by the producer of Education Nation and my co-host, Mark Durgan.
1: And another good evening to you, Rebecca. The start of school is here. I know.
2: We are at the school that I run, Liberty Classical Academy. We are beginning classes on Monday Mm -hmm. and had our big back-to-school night week uh, this last week, and
1: I had a part to be. I had a chance to be a part of that. That was wonderful yes. to see families I haven't seen for a couple months. Isn't
2: it one, wonderful? Yeah, and not only that, but I always notice how much the kids have grown over the summer. Yes, <laughs> they come up to me and they say, "Hello, Mrs. Hagstrom," and I'm thinking, "Oh my goodness, you've yes, grew at least like, three inches." Exactly. I swear, Exactly.
1: <laughs> I totally relate. Yes,
2: <laughs> so it's fun, fun to see that. So, well, this past June, there was a historic decision by the U.S. Supreme Court that actually overturned 40 years of precedent, potentially costing public sector unions tens of millions of dollars. The nation's highest court ruled that unions, public sector un- unions can no longer charge fees for non-member government workers to help pay for collective bargaining.
1: That's right, Rebecca. Public sector workers now have a choice, and that includes the nation's public school teachers. And for the first time here in Minnesota, if you are a new teacher or a new employee— You do not have to join or support the union to get or keep your job. And tonight we want to take a look at the Supreme Court case at large, and then we will also discuss locally how Minnesota Teachers Union, Education Minnesota, braced for the ruling and how Minnesota educators can opt out of the Teachers Union.
2: Mm -hmm. Well, the case was Janus versus the American Federation of State, County, and Municipal Employees, Council 31. Who is Mark Janus? Well, he was an individual who had spent time working in both the public and the private sectors. And in 1980, he worked a government job and was not required to pay money for a union. Um, and then after working for a private company, he returned to the public sector in 2007 as a child protection specialist. He soon discovered that the Illinois state government granted the AFSME, which is the acronym for the public sector union that was included in this case the government granted them the authority to deduct money from janus's paycheck even though he was not a union member and janus says that the state of illinois granted asme a politically powerful government union the power to exclusively represent more than 90% of state workers in mm. illinois so according to Janus, the union was collecting money from almost every employee of the Illinois state government, more than 90 percent worth, even if the state employees didn't support the union's politics and mm. policies. And that's the frustration here is that yes. um, even though they're not having to pay supposedly the union dues, they were still having to pay a portion of for the collective bargaining rights. right, And yet, so many of those employees don't necessarily agree with the collective bargaining that was actually taking place. You
1: know, this is the classic case, and, and we can all agree that nobody wants to be dragged along to go with speech that right. they don't agree with. Exactly. And so this is really what was at, at the front and center of, of this First Amendment debate during this case. Yep.
2: So he, along with millions of other American workers, this is really it does affect people nationwide, yes. were forced to support a government union as a condition of employment.
1: So the question then is, is what was Janus's response? Well, he insisted that this was a gross violation of his First Amendment rights to free speech and freedom of association, Mm -hmm. which is unfair and unconstitutional to force him and millions of other American workers to pay to advance policies they oppose just so they can serve their communities Mm -hmm. and their states. Mm -hmm. So what he did was, is he asked the Supreme Court of the United States to end this practice. So... The case was heard, and then on June 27th of this year, by a vote of five to four, the court ruled that government workers who chose not to join unions may not be required to help pay for collective bargaining through these so called agency fees, mm-hmm. is what they were paying. And the majority for the court, they were stating that forcing those workers to finance union activity did indeed violate the First Amendment. Mm -hmm. Now, the important thing is here is that this really overturned a precedent that was set back in 1977 in the court case of Abood versus the Detroit Board of Education, in which, according to the New York Times, that case had made a distinction between two kinds of compelling payments, Okay. The court ruled that forcing non-members to pay for a union's political activities violated the First Amendment, but it was ruled constitutional to require non-members to help pay for the union's collective bargaining efforts to prevent uh, freeloading and ensure labor peace. That was the primary Mm. concern. Well, Justice uh, Samuel Alito stated that the Abood case was poorly reasoned, as he put his majority reason together. And the fallout from that decision had led to practical problems in abuse and has shown itself to be inconsistent with other rulings in First Amendment cases. So a specific example of abuse that was cited by Alito uh, in the Janus case is that workers like Mark Janus we uh, were charged about 78% of the dues paid by members of the union. I've
2: been about that. I know. 78% for collective bargaining. Right. And then they say, well, no, we're not really using any of your money for political uh, activity. Right. And yet, I you know how much money the unions give to candidates of their choice. Yes. And to think that, well, what would that be? 78%. So that was that 22% right. supposedly is going for only political activity, I think it's probably flipped. I would say probably 78% of the money collected is going to political activity, exactly. not 22%.
1: Yeah, you agency fee payers are not paying union dues. So guess what? You're going to pay for the collective
2: bargaining. Right, right. <laughs> yeah. And you know, you know that 78% covers much more than just collective oh, bargaining. absolutely. <laughs> absolutely.
1: Yes. <laughs> well, in writing for the majority, too, on this decision, Alito had stated, quote, we conclude that this arrangement violates the free speech rights of non-members by compelling them to subsidize private speech, there we go, on matters of substantial public concern. Mm -hmm. And those are political in nature.
2: Mm -hmm. Absolutely.
1: (laughs) In other words, the majority was saying that requiring payments to unions that negotiate with the government, it forces workers to endorse political messages that may be at odds with their Mm -hmm. beliefs. This is what, again, Justice Alito was alluding to and wrote specifically in his majority. So- Mm -hmm. You know, in light of the 1977 ruling, you know, the plaintiffs in the Janus case, they argued that negotiating with public agencies requires taking positions on government's size and scope, which is a political question. Absolutely. That's what they argued. And so forcing employees to pay for the negotiations again is a violation of the First Amendment. This was sorted of cited, rather, in the Wall Street Journal in March of mm-hmm. this year.
2: Well, and the interesting thing about this case is that it was, a, it was just a year earlier that Rebecca Friedman tried to come at this same issue, yes. but from a teacher's perspective. That was in California, right? So it was right? in California, yes, and it actually went all the way to the Supreme Court, and it was expected to be decided like this, but then that is when uh, Justice... Um, I'm blanking out on the name of the justice who died a year, a oh, little that, over a year ago. Yeah, that was Scalia. Scalia, <laughs> Scalia. yes, thank you. Yes. Um, Scalia, you know, unfortunately uh, died at a very critical time when the yes. Supreme Court was deciding a lot of different cases. That's right. And uh, so this was one of the cases that was expected to, you know, be in favor of the um, of, of Rebecca Friedman. Yes, but instead, it ended up in I think a split decision. It was a four-four four, tie, four yeah. tie. Yeah, so I thought it was rather interesting then that only within a year another case comes before the Supreme Court, basically arguing the same thing, but yes. not as a teacher, but from another public sector Absolutely. union perspective. So um, now that the Supreme Court is as it is with the new appointee from Trump, they did have the five-four decision. And, How important um,
1: was that nomination? Exactly. It, exactly.
2: Yep. Because this is a landmark case. I mean, obviously, this has sweeping um, pre- um, implications for public sector unions across the nation. It
1: has a lot of people nervous.
2: Yeah, it mm-hmm. does. And and that's the point then that labor leaders, obviously, they disagree with this argument. And um, they believe that uh, such talks are typical workforce negotiations, not political matters. So this idea that um, that the court says that they shouldn't have to pay in for collective bargaining rights because that is actually a political activity too, the labor leaders are saying, no, they don't, they don't agree with that. They don't think that that's true. Mm-hmm. So the dissenting opinion then came from uh, the Supreme Court. It hinted that the majority in this decision used constitutional rights to hinder economic and regulatory practices in the workplace, which I find absurd. (laughs) Um, Justice Elena Kagan wrote in response to the majority opinion, it prevents the American people acting through their state and local officials from making important choices about workplace governance. And it does so by weaponizing. Boy, that's a strong word. It does mm-hmm. so by weaponizing the First Amendment. That's scary language to me for a Supreme Court justice to be using. Absolutely. Because the First Amendment should be protected and valued. It should never be considered a weapon. Right. Um, it does so by weaponizing the First Amendment in a way that unleashes judges now and in the future to intervene in economic and regulatory policy. I would argue that by by collecting those fees, right. you're, they're intervening in economic and regulatory policy. Right. So uh, the argument can be made in both directions. Right. Uh,
1: the amount of money that they're taking from the worker and right. putting it towards mixed messages that are, are political. exactly, yep, Absolutely. Exactly. Well, according to the New York Times, uh, The uh, unions point to the majority's reasoning regarding endorsing political messages as flawed, Mm -hmm. arguing that non-members are already entitled to refunds of payments spent on political activities like advertising to support a political candidate. And I find that to be absurd. Mm -hmm. Okay, so you get the refund on this contribution, but the money already went towards the election. Well, not only
2: that, why should you have to go through a process of getting a refund on your money? I'm sure that process isn't easy.
1: I'm sure it And isn't. it's
2: probably like, oh, you've got one week from here to here and you have to submit why. And, you know, I have no idea. Maybe right. the process isn't that difficult, but I'm guessing right. that there is a process. There has to be in order to get your money back. Most employees probably don't take the time to go through that process and they shouldn't have to. They mm-hmm. shouldn't have to. No, that's, they should That's the point. Um, unions also point out that collective bargaining is different and believe that workers should not be free to reap the benefit to, benefits of such bargaining without paying their fair share of the costs. But that really plays into the argument that Mark Janus brought forth, and this is a form of blackmail. Either you allow us to dispense of your union dues to the policies of our choice, or we don't want you to reap the benefits of collective bargaining efforts to improve your work conditions. Mm-hmm. And And again, as Rebecca Jane or Rebecca Friedman used to point out, when it was her case that was before the courts, you know, she said, "But what if I don't agree? Maybe I don't want to make more money because I think that that money would be better spent on, you know, reducing class size or something like that." Right. So the assumption is always that the worker wants to make more money, and at the core of that, at the core, that may not be correct. Not every employee may want to make more money. Maybe they want the money to go to something that they think is more important, right? Uh, especially as in the teacher, teaching perspective. They may want that money to stay in the school system so that they can reduce class size or do some other initiative that they think is more important than increasing their pay.
1: Right. And again, we can all agree that nobody wants to be dragged along with speech that they don't agree right. with. Right. Yeah. This is why the court ruled in that direction. Yeah. Well, you are listening to Education Nation here on AM 1280, The Patriot, in which tonight- Tonight, we're discussing the Supreme Court decision uh, and the Janus decision, along with Minnesota teachers' unions. We'll be getting to them in just a moment in terms of how they braced for this ruling and then, of course, what Minnesota teachers can do to opt out of their existing union commitments. Mm -hmm. Um, Concerns that have been held Uh, by the nation's teachers' unions and some facts concerning those teachers' unions. Um, Of all the public sector labor groups, teachers' unions are actually the largest and the most politically potent. Mm -hmm. And if you need evidence of the political influence, consider the leaders of the American Federation of Teachers and the National Education Association. They are extremely influential figures on the political left. Consider this. 2016 election, the two unions together spent $63 million bolstering Democrats, much more money spent than any other public sector union.
2: Yeah, and let's go back to those percentages, you know if seventy eight percent is supposedly for collective bargaining, at least twenty two percent left to spend on political ideology and support, and yet they've come up with some sixty three million dollars right. <laughs> in addition to paying all of their employees, I think that they are spending a little bit of that seventy eight percent on political oh, gain. I think too. so too <laughs> I think so too
1: you know according to the Wall Street Journal uh, back in March, union backers they insist that union membership means better salaries for teachers, greater likelihood of smaller classes which ultimately attracts higher caliber people to the teaching profession, which I find interesting because anytime there's a referendum that is up for vote, the uh, promotion of that is, well, if this doesn't pass, classrooms right. aren't going to be small.
2: Right. Yeah, I don't see the p- collective bargaining um, to increase better or salaries for teachers is going to actually reduce – small or make the class sizes smaller, um, the two don't tend to go hand in hand very often. Yes. And um, that's one of the things, you know, we've played in the past. We've talked about public sector unions in the past and teachers unions in the past on previous shows. And we've actually played a clip of a past president of the National Education Association upon his retirement saying that the whole point of the union is not for the kids. He actually says that in his speech. It is not for the kids. It is for the teachers, and it is to become, it is to take that powerful influence that they have. Workers' rights. And use it, yes. And so I think we have to always keep that in mind. You know, it's not that we don't want uh, public sector employees to make a good income, but on the other hand, we have to remember that, especially in the case of teachers, we should be thinking about the kids because that's really what it's all about. That's right. Yeah. Well, the repercussions then for the teachers' unions. Um, after the aftermath of Janus, is potentially large. And without the ability to charge fair share fees for core functions, teachers' unions fear that members will flee, that their budgets will dwindle, and that their ability to bargain with school districts and hold influence with politicians will diminish. Mm-hmm. And uh, the National Education Association specifically boasts that more than 3 million union members, um, they are as the nation's largest teachers' union, They believe that over the next two years, NEA um, will lose about 370,000 members in the wake of the Janus ruling. And consider those losses, plus the current 88,000 educators who are non-members who pay agency fees to the union, the NEA NEA believes that they will lose many of those people as well. Mm -hmm.
1: The face of public sector is going to look a lot different, I think, Mm -hmm. in the next three to five Mm -hmm. years. We'll Mm -hmm. have to keep an eye on that.
2: And and you know, I don't want to get too far off on this because I know we've got limited time, but one of the things that I think is really important to note that with public sector unions, the person that they're bargaining or the organization that they're bargaining with is us, the people, yes, the taxpayers of this nation. And so when you have people that are representing the taxpayers, um, negotiating with these new union people, a lot of times it's easy for them to just continue to be generous and generous and generous because it's not really their company's money that is being spent to support these public employees. It is taxpayer money. yes. So it's easy to make promises and promises and promises and then find out years later after you're long out of office that, oh, lo and behold, we actually don't have the money to fulfill all these promises we've made. And that's what we're seeing across the nation that happened in Detroit And so a lot of these public sector employees who are promised these wonderful retirement packages and what have you, they're having to take cuts because promises were made that couldn't be kept. Yes. And so in some regards, I think public employee unions, they're not always the most representative to protect those employees because they can get promises all they want. But if the bottom line is if the public sector can't support it, they can't afford to pay it. It's just going to get cut down the road. Absolutely. So it's something to consider because I I think public sector is very different than other ones that are actually negotiating with a business that has to fulfill their promises. Mm -hmm.
1: Certainly something to keep an eye on for sure. And specifically, if we want to kind of have a glimpse of what it might look like with teachers unions across the country, Um, we can look at what has happened in Wisconsin. Um, The Janus decision is very similar, actually, to the union reforms that Wisconsin Governor Scott Walker Mm -hmm. signed into law at the beginning of the decade. Act 10 allowed public sector employees to opt out of bargaining fees. And as a result, the Wisconsin Teachers Union alone lost 60% of its members. Wow. That's huge. It is. And the result? Mm -hmm. The state's overall union density, and again, a union density is the ratio of the number of employees who are members of unions to all the employees in a population. That in in Wisconsin fell from 14.1% in 2011 to just 9% in 2016. Mm -hmm. So why is this significant? Well, consider the most recent presidential election. Uh, Donald Trump won Wisconsin's 10 electoral votes with 47.9% of the vote. Hillary Clinton had 46.9%. So we have one percentage point deciding those votes in that very crucial state. And a lack of union money and volunteers certainly played a part in helping Trump. Mm
2: -hmm. Well, and if you think that 60% of the um, Wisconsin Teachers Union basically left the union, they're intelligent people. They obviously were only in it because they were compelled to have to pay into this union. Mm -hmm. And I find that interesting, too, that... Um, you know, if they really were helping the teachers, the teachers would want to opt in. Yes. And I think the teachers themselves saw it as more of a political uh, organization rather than anything that was helping them. Absolutely. So how Education Minnesota, in this state, obviously, braced for this Janus decision Um, Is rather interesting. Uh, The American Experiment took a look at this Center for the American Experiment. And uh, what they said is that public sector unions like Education Minnesota, um, they are major DFL contributors, which we've already known, providing financial backing and other support from thousands of members. And the PAC for Education Minnesota has spent actually $2.2 million in political donations since 2016, mostly on DFL campaigns, making it one of the state's leading donors. Mm-hmm. And prior to the 17 and 18 school year and prior to the Janus decision, the state's most powerful public employee union, Education Minnesota, began bracing in an effort to prevent potential losses of thousands of union members um, with you know the Janus decision, they think I think they kind of expected this this decision. So, in an effort to slow the loss of members, the Education Minnesota Teachers Union launched a campaign called "The Power of We." in which the campaign talking points stressed that when even one educator opts out of our union, it weakens us. This is a quote. When even one educator opts out of our union, it weakens us all. That means less power, fewer training opportunities, and lower wages, end quote. And during this campaign, the teachers' union asked local union reps to get all 86 to 90,000 teachers statewide To sign a membership renewal form Mm -hmm. that would automatically renew payment of union dues every year unless the teacher remembers to opt out in writing. Mm -hmm. So, once again, trying to basically manipulate the system to make people pay in knowing that people are busy and they're not going to take the time to opt out.
1: Right. And on their website, the Center for the American Experiment shared the fine print that was at the bottom of this form in which they mentioned was difficult to read, but it was the key contractual language. That Education Minnesota was anxious to renew before the Janus case was decided, and here is that excerpt. It's, quote, I agree to submit dues to Education Minnesota and hereby request and voluntarily authorize my employer to deduct from my wages an amount equal to the regular monthly dues uniformly applicable to members of Education Minnesota or monthly service fee, and further that such amount so deducted be sent to such local union for and on my behalf. This authorization shall remain in effect and shall be automatically renewed from year to year, irrespective of my membership in the Union, unless I revoke it by submitting written notice to both my employer and the local union during the seven-day period that begins on September 24th and ends on September 30th. So it's in the small print, mm-hmm. it's, it's hard to read, and it's the very last sentence.
2: And it's only seven days.
1: Right, <laughs> right. <laughs> I mean. And, 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 and this, this came to the attention, obviously, of the Center of the American Experiment. And in Kim Crockett, who's the vice president and general counselor, She stated that the teachers union was betting that the most teachers would just sign this card without reading it, understanding what it means, and just keep on paying. So in addition to the membership renewal form, Education Minnesota, in anticipation of the fallout from the coming decision, was also planning on raising teachers' annual dues from $615 by $14 a year. Mm -hmm. So according to a survey also that was conducted by Educators for Excellence as of April this year... Just two months before the Janus decision, 70% of Minnesota teachers had heard not much or nothing about the Janus case. And it really makes wonder how effective the Power of week campaign blitz with the subsequent union membership renewal form really had in having a majority of Minnesota teachers downplay the looming SCOTUS decision mm-hmm, in
2: the Janus case. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and I'm sure they weren't really advertising the Janus case itself. They were actually more right. trying to probably kind of push that off to the sidelines and just get the teachers to understand how important it is to stay together.
1: This is true. Uh,
2: So, yeah, rather interesting. And, of course, the opt-out time is what, two weeks after the beginning of the school year when teachers are probably the most busy? (laughs) (laughs) Well, Minnesota teachers themselves uh, had a lot to say about this through the Educators for Excellence survey. And in that survey, they found that 62% of Minnesota teachers said their union represents perspectives only somewhat like their own. And even another 23% said that that the union didn't very much at all or did not at all represent their own perspectives. So I think that's kind of interesting because in Wisconsin, 60% left the union, and now we have 62% of Minnesota teachers saying, the union really doesn't represent my views.
1: Right, absolutely. Yeah. Well, for Minnesota teachers, we want to give an option here or just the opportunity to hear of what their opt-out rights are as we are approaching that date of September 24th. Educated Teachers Minnesota is a project of Center of the American Experiment, and they're here to help Minnesota teachers understand their rights under the Janus decision. The good news is all public sector employees, including teachers in Minnesota, now have a choice. They can decide whether or not they want to financially contribute to a union. And the Janus decision assures that no deductions can be taken from a teacher's paycheck unless the teacher affirmatively consents to pay. So as of June 27th, fair share payers, those that are non-members of unions, are no longer required to help pay for collective bargaining costs as a condition of employment. Well, what about existing members of Education Minnesota? As we mentioned earlier and must mention again, the union allows teachers to opt out once a year during a narrow seven-day window from September 24th to September 30th, and that is one month from now. It's important to note that this restriction on your rights is not consistent with the Janus decision, and teachers should be able to resign any time, and it will be interesting to see how this holds up legally.
2: Mm -hmm. And even though this issue will eventually be resolved by the legislature or the courts, Educated Teachers recommends the seven-day window in September is currently the most effective way for teachers to resign from their membership with the union with assurance. And the Center of the American Experiment also says that despite the opt-out window, if you want to resign from your union membership, it is a good idea to contact both your employer and the union And if you are an agency fee payer only, it's a good idea to review your pay stubs since the June 27th ruling. And if for some reason your dues are still being withdrawn, it's a good idea to send a letter to your employer. If you want more information from Educated Teachers, you can sign up for emails and updates at www.educatedteachersmn.com. That's educatedteachersmn.com. It was great to be on the show together with you today, Mark.
1: Absolutely. Enjoy this weekend of rest before the start of the school year. Yes,
2: and you too. (laughs) And to all of our listeners, we invite you to listen to our podcasts on our website at ednationmn.org. That's ednationmn.org. Follow us on Twitter at ednationminnesota and Facebook, Education Nation Radio. Hope to see you next week and have a great weekend.